Hello and welcome to what we've learned. Series three, again, Shane and Steve, another episode, another stellar. Shane, tell us about this stellar guest, if you will. So today we have joining us Dom Hawes, who is CEO of the marketing group Selby Anderson. And uh, this series of podcasts is all about leadership. And Dom has some fascinating insights as to what makes great leaders, um, but also has had a very interesting and different career to get into the place of being a leader today, not least because he started his career in the forces, in the army, as we'll hear, but also because he's gone on to do a multitude of other things, including he is himself a podcast host. Uh, he is, in fact, a very competitive sportsman and competes at elite level for rowing and um, a couple of other things that will come out in the course of our chat. Yes, don't give too much away, Shane. Very eloquent man with a brilliant passion and, and what you'll hear as you'll see, as you'll find out in a second, is quite how he's turned some of the things that have happened into him his life, the, the negatives into positives and how that's helped him to learn and indeed to strive forward with what he does with Selby Anderson. So a really interesting listen for anybody who's interested in that world of mergers and acquisitions or indeed just wants to understand from somebody who's been there on how to run an organisation and to lead it brilliantly. So let's hear from Dom. Good morning, Dom. Really welcome to our podcast, What We've Learned, all about this series, Leaders and Pioneers. So a uh, big welcome to you. Thank you very much. It's really, really good to be here. I'm looking forward to chatting to you guys. My question for you, first question of the morning is, what do you think makes or the characteristics make a good or great leader? Because I'm sure you've seen good and bad through your career. Yeah, yeah. Well, interesting question. And I think there are about 100 answers to it, I think, depending on the environment. But I think there are some threads that run through. Uh, you, you, you do know already, I know, because we've discussed this, but, you know, my, my background originally was uh, military. Um, and they have a very particular way of defining leadership um, in the military. There are in, indeed principles that you learn by rote when you're at the Royal Military Academy. Um, I think in, in the real world, I say the real world, outside of the military, I mean, um, I think some of those things are more nuanced, but, but some of them ring really true. And I think the number one most important thing for a leader is integrity. Um, I think you have to be able to stand by your beliefs and you have to know what they are and you have to be true to yourself as a leader, because if you're not, you very quickly lose your team. I think moral courage is supremely important. Um, having the guts to take unpopular decisions for the benefit of the business to the team. Um, I think vision is very important because uh, people want to follow uh, leaders that are going somewhere, not just walking in circles. Um, I, I think resilience is very important because leadership is an extraordinarily lonely place, um, particularly if you're having to call on your integrity and your moral courage a lot. <laughs> it can get quite tricky. But I think, I think you know, a, a lot of the leaders I speak to, the, the number one, concern not concern they have but the thing they find hardest is that is the loneliness of leadership it's very hard there isn't really anybody maybe other than one spouse that you can share everything with um if you're you know leading in a dynamic environment i don't i don't believe um you know those private thoughts you have or the you know e even the biggest best strongest leaders will have imposter syndrome at some stage and somehow you need you need to see through it and i think you know, the pandemic was a really good example of that over the last 12 months. When, when it first happened, when lockdown first happened in March, 
I looked at what I thought was going to be happening over the next few months and it, and it looked very Kubler-Ross to me. It looked like this kind of period of denial and anger and frustration and all those various different steps. And I realized very quickly that if that's what the team was going to go through, I couldn't be seen to be wallowing or engaging in that kind of thing. So um, we sent messages, a message straight out to our whole team about how important it was to be on the front foot. And yes, of course, we understood what was going on outside, but we couldn't afford to get caught up in that and how it was very important to get really in the faces of our clients and do whatever we could to support them. And I think that, I think that kind of helped us through, but, but if I'm honest and, you know, and, and I don't have a problem admitting vulnerability myself either, I found it pretty hard going by the time lockdown got to an end because, you know, I hadn't been able to admit any kind of weakness or, you know, or show it. I didn't, I didn't want my team to see that I was struggling because if they did, um, you know, that, that might've encouraged, not encouraged is the wrong word. But you know what I mean? You know, people don't want to see that the person that's leading their business is is struggling too much. So, so I, you know, I did admit in I think it was in December I sent out a a message to the team saying, "Look, I'd found this a bit hard," and I'm sure they probably had too. Um, But that resilience, that you know, being able to push on at all costs, um, is really important, and I think something that a lot of leaders struggle with. It's interesting, Tom, because it, 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 that last point leads to, to emotional intelligence as well, because there's a fine balance, isn't there? You've got to be the leader, as you say. If, w- any group, whether it's work, whether it's social, whether it's military, as you say, if there's not somebody setting the compass and going the right direction, then th- there's panic, there's fear, because nobody knows where we're going. But at the same time, you need that person to, to your point, be able to be human and say, look, actually, I'm not everything. I'm not bulletproof. There are weaknesses. It's It's finding that balance of when to say, uh, those things and when to not to be galvanized and, and to push forward is that fair yeah yeah i think it is absolutely and i think you know i, I realized the way i phrased that before might have come across that and, and i'm not one of those you know terribly toxic masculine leader types who we can't admit not at all it didn't come across like you, that absolutely you must not. be you must be strong at all times <laughs> I, mean, I think i think absolutely the opposite actually and you know without being cynical or manipulative you know i think admitting weakness from a behavioral economics point of view gives one enormous strength because you know we talk a lot you know everyone in marketing talks a lot about authenticity and part of being authentic and being believable and being real maybe maybe of having that integrity that i talked about before is is actually by admitting that you know (laughs) we have weaknesses that no one's perfect um and i think something we'll probably talk about a little bit later i've written a chapter in a book where i really expose my biggest weaknesses and i think it's okay to share those um because you know because nobody is perfect i really like that tom i mean you know i think that's interesting there's this balance isn't there between sharing a weakness being you know being able to be open about being vulnerable but at the same time that's not the same as imposter syndrome i.e i don't think i'm good enough to do that but actually people i think to confuse the two i i find that is that, that if they admit weakness they're worried that they then might be seen as not up to the task is that something that you've ever encountered um look like all people you know i started out um my marketing career in creative agencies and i used to have terrible imposter syndrome (laughs) 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 probably deservedly so at certain stages um but um but that look self-doubt you know particularly 
particularly when you're in an environment that's that's very fast growth that actually sometimes you need to pinch yourself and just realize that that the role is moving on that the expectations of you as a leader are moving on and you know over the last two years the role that I do has changed enormously um and and I'm not I'm basically not doing really any of the stuff that I used to do to start with um so when we started it was basically a couple of us in the business plan and, and therefore everything's going to be kind of hierarchical and you know as the CEO of a company with no, no employees you're, you're directing everything um now we're 125 I'm I, a I physically can't do it but you know I'm trying as much as possible to surround myself with a team that that that, that challenge me are, are more expert than me are better than me in 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 whichever areas they can be so my role changes significantly from being you know a, a member of the orchestra to being a conductor um and i can't do what they do but that, but then but then i don't need to so so the imposter syndrome thing is is kind of still there but in i think in different ways and i think that as long as as long as you can keep a track of what where you add value and where your role in that business is helping drive the future I, to me that's how you combat imposter syndrome because i know i know now what part i have to well i mean i've always known but i know where we are now what i need to do over the next 24 to 36 months to take us from where we are to where we need to get to um so i don't have any kind of syndrome about that but if you park me in front of a client to talk about you know an integrated campaign over four territories absolutely the imposter syndrome will flood back because frankly it's not what i do anymore so but but it's not what you need to do dom and again i think that's good back to good leadership is recognizing not weaknesses but where there are people that could be brought in that are better more experienced um you know it's an overused analogy and a poor poor negative one often but take a piece of precision engineering like a swiss watch it has a large number of small cogs but without one of those cogs that it doesn't work so it's recognizing well, what yeah. are the cogs i need around me and let them do what they're good at whilst you as you say play play to your strengths rather than feeling you need to own everything yes yeah, so i've got a really interesting one on this and, and it's a bit early and i may sound like i'm certifiable <laughs> on, on this one but but i read a lot <laughs> so i read a lot and um and i've just been reading um all about the brain david eagleman is an extraordinary writer and um and towards the end of um the book i'm reading at the moment title of which escapes me um he starts talking about consciousness and emergence and he uses the example of ant colonies and how ant colonies and it's, it's analogous to the, to the brain where obviously you've got, you know, cells that can't do much on their own, but when you put it together, consciousness emerges. And so he starts talking about this, this, the concept of emergence and that really captivated me. And, and, you know, so that kind of is a nice way of explaining, you know, the, the, um, the whole is more than some of its parts, I guess. So my role really is as a leader now is about trying to encourage emergence across our group of agencies um, An emergence isn't something that's been studied in great detail, certainly that I can find since the early 1980s and a couple of um, works on it then. Um, so I'm looking at the moment into this whole concept of emergence, because actually, really, really, my role is exactly as you as you just said, is to to put more talented people with very highly specialized skills in the building and but look at how the right combination, the right structure, the right kind of rules of the game can create something that is genuinely unique and has 
sort of superpowers that others haven't got because they don't have our unique DNA. And so that's, that's something I'm looking into kind of researching at the moment, how we might, how we might accelerate that process. So that's really fascinating because it's one of the analogies that I use when I talk to sort of marketeers who are trying to improve results and, you know, all the focus is always about growth. And it's exactly that concept is that you actually only need everybody in the team to do half a percent better and you add it all up and it's a significant percentage. And that actually came out of the team sky thinking, um, which is the only other place that I've seen that sort of whole idea of, emergence and and when you add everything together everybody's little bit is so much more powerful so I think it's really exciting but I'm, I'm intrigued in terms of how you took that in to building the vision for the business of Selby Anderson we haven't touched on that yet so perhaps can you explain a little bit about what it is you're trying to build Dom yeah yeah delighted so so my own agency um, my own agency experience was relatively short actually I had six years post-military uh, where I started out pretty much in the post room, I was an, as an assistant account exec in a PR company, because that the leap from military into marketing was not an easy one to make. Um, so I had to start right at the bottom and work my way up. Um, but I, but I did that over six years, um, and I then kind of swapped sides for a little bit and went in house as um, VP marketing at a, an investment company. And I then bounced back out and start around my own agency for a year before turning that into something else. So so b- b- bizarrely, I. I've always seen marketing and particularly agency kind of as my home though throughout my career, although I haven't done it for, you know, the greater part of it. Um, and I ended up in a, a bit of a hiatus, I guess, um, in 2012. And I looked at doing something along these lines then, um, but I didn't really have the ammunition or, or frankly, the mental fortitude to do it because starting something like this from scratch takes a toll. Um, but by the time we got to 2018, 2019, um, I had, I think, got myself to a place where I knew I was ready. Um, and I had a few additional skills, actually, that I picked up. I was consulting between um, 2012 and 2018, and I picked up a few additional skills that, that were going to be very useful, such as I'd worked through, I'd worked through M&A and, 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 and a few transactions, and I'd done a lot of quite detailed modeling work. Um, so I found myself in 2018 um, with my co-founders um, looking at this business, partly, I mean, obviously partly is a business opportunity because we all need to earn money to put food on the table and do that kind of stuff. But there were two key things that were the drivers for what we're doing right now. And one is a kind of carrot and one is a stick, I guess. I've always been um, obsessed by, I'm not obsessed, but yeah, obsessed. I've always been obsessed by specialists, right? People that do things really, really well. And I think this place, that emergency thing we were just talking about as well, that, that specialists only need to do the things they're specialist at. They don't need to do everything. And, and you, can't, you can't get emergence if you've got a team of generalists. You can only get it if you've got a team of specialists. Because otherwise, everything, everyone does the same stuff all the time. And you want everyone to be doing different stuff. That's what leads, I think, to the emergence. Um, but we, um, so I've always been assessed by specialists. And while I've got enormous respect for the big marketing networks, um, they're very big. <laughs> they're very big. And by, and by definition, then, you know, if we're using a shipping metaphor, they're oil tankers that take a long time to turn around. And we've seen that over the last few years. Um, you know, it's been a tough old time for the big networks. But also I saw, you know, we, we I should say, saw 
culture changing slightly and clients starting to look at smaller agencies, smaller, more specialist agencies, because the whole digital uh, sort of MarTech thing was happening. And although the big networks all have MarTech offerings, and in some cases, highly sophisticated ones, the, the, in my opinion, they lacked that kind of agility and nimbleness that lots of clients were looking for. And so we started to see, you know, the kind of clients that small agencies would have killed for putting briefs out. Um, so, so we set about trying to create a network that could offer a genuine alternative to network agencies. Um, and that was extraordinarily arrogant and conceited, given that there were three of us in a, you know, in a spreadsheet. But that's that was our vision to start with. It's like, how do we create a genuine alternative to the big, to the really big um, companies? Uh, and that was the driver from a client point of view. But also, you know, I'd been through a process in 2012 where, um, you know, I, I always open my own A meetings with, I'm the guy that thought he'd sold a company but ended up having to sell his house. Um, <laughs> it's a family house, actually, not mine. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm acutely aware of what a poor sale process looks like. And I've, and I've been the, on the receiving end of some very bad behavior from an acquirer. Um, so when we were putting this together, we wanted to be the home of choice for great agencies, great independent agencies. And, and there were a bunch of things that we wanted to do. I mean, actually, look at its simplest level. We were trying to say, let's prove that you, you don't have to be a complete moron, a greedy, avaricious, cynical, um, I can't swear, but you know what I mean, um, to, make, to make it in the world. Let's see, let's, let's prove that you can build something really big and valuable and sustainable by being good guys. And that's, that, was, that was part of the driver. Now, that helps if you're trying to attract marketing agencies which are generally run by highly intelligent highly creative and extremely sensitive you know they've got very high eq ratings a lot of a lot of the people we speak to and they don't want to go and work for someone that's going to change what they've spent 15 years creating so so being the home of choice to kind of the best of the best was kind of important to us too and there's a bunch of behaviors that we brought in right from day one um to make to make those principles live within the group and they're still here today it's interesting tom because you, you you've just articulated you started with the word integrity when shane asked the first question today and and what you've just articulated there is that on that other side of if we're going to acquire we can do it with integrity we don't have to be insert swear word of of other ways <laughs> of doing it um but you, but you and you mentioned super tankers. It sounds like, if I if I may, it's almost you're, you're building a flotilla at this point. You've got lots of these vessels together. I'd be interested. I've got two questions for you, Dom, and and pick one or, or both as you wish. But firstly, how do you manage as a as a leadership team that flotilla? Because they've all got to go in the same direction, but they are all different vessels. They're different agencies. That must be a really interesting challenge. And any thoughts on the good or the bad of that? And and secondly, there may well be people listening in that are on the other side. Um, somebody gave me very sage, obvious advice years ago and said, look, no one ever sells an agency or an organization or a business. They get bought. Um, and I wonder if there's any pointers for people that might be on that side that are considering, well, how do I build something for, for, to be acquired? What do you look for? What's important? Are there learnings from that? OK, yes. Two, two very good questions. Um, and I, if I can, if I can remember them. <laughs> By the time well, first I one's the flotilla. How do you keep that flotilla? Yeah, so that's really so that's really interesting. And I think so. We had um, 
in the early days, um, it was easy. So it was kept together by a kind of traditional hierarchical structure where, you know, everyone reported into a blob at the top and everyone is accountable. I'm accountable to the board and to um, and to the investment committee of, of our group. So we had that kind of that arrangement. But when we passed the 100 people mark um, and the number of, of, of ships in our flotilla, if I can continue mm-hmm. the, the metaphor, um, that, <laughs> that, that becomes almost impossible. Because, as you say, there are too many directions, too many things going on. You need to know too much. And, you, and actually, it's just not possible. So, so we went through a process um, in Q4 last year where we were looking at the problem and saying, how are we going to do it? Um, and, and my thinking was influenced by the, the emergence of DevOps, actually, as a practice within technology and how the principles and ideals that had driven DevOps could be we could utilize things like um, decentralization, locality and simplicity, making people pushing out the decision making as far as possible into the organization so that um, so that everyone understands exactly what they can and can't do as part of their role in order to achieve the objective. And in the military these days, I think they call that commanders in commanders intent, I think they call it. Um, so so that was part of it. It was about getting things decentralized as much as possible but also it's about creating an environment where people can do their best work now i can't say what that environment is from the center because frankly i don't know um so we adopted um we were looking at decentralization and actually of course someone else had already done the work um stanley mccrystal uh, wrote a book about what he calls team of teams and we adopted the team of team structure within the group. So we created a panel called the Agency Management Board, which is run by the MDs of select agencies within the group. And so the, effectively, the agencies within the group run the group, uh, the agency side of that. So, and that, that changes the role of our central leadership from being a kind of command and control to being a strategy and a facilitation role. Um, so, so that that was the way that we've managed that, and and effectively, actually, I'll tell you who else did this really well is Clive Woodward with the British rugby team. Um, when he went on to win the World Cup, um, he had a, a team shift principle. You know, the, the principle being those people making decisions should be, you know, if you've got to live with a decision, sorry, you should have part, you, sh- you should have a say in making it. And that that was actually the st- that was the, originally the driving force before I came across the team of teams concept and team of teams has allowed us to develop the management thinking a little bit further Um, but basically we have a a completely decentralized structure now so we have a strategy centrally we know where we're going Um, we changed the structure of the group actually away from what was the kind of traditional matrix group if you imagine uh, build a picture of this on the left hand side you have all the different practices within um, within marketing and communication, so whether it be public relations or direct marketing or integrated or whatever on the left-hand side. And on the, uh, on the other axis, you have vertical markets. So, so we started out thinking very much along matrix lines, uh, but we reorganized based around uh, a, a, a life cycle practices based on the kind of things we believe our clients are looking for, depending on the stage of a product life cycle that they are in. So um, it's, it's a bit hard to describe in words. It's a bit esoteric. But for example, we have an innovation practice, which is all about product marketing. So product creation, research, analysis, um, you know, doing gap analysis for FMCG products to, to help them create products to, to fill voids in their markets through enablement, which is 
building out the digital tools people need to either to you know to do b2b e-commerce or self-service systems online um acquisition is the next practice it's a big practice that one so that's direct marketing advertising etc there are a couple of other practices and then communication which runs all the way along the the, the product life cycle so so we think now uh, or i'm trying to encourage us to think very much more about how our customers either are or should be thinking um about about the life cycle and and by doing that we've created a structure within the group where the agencies can remain certainly in ethos genuinely independent now you know all the agencies of course you know we have proper corporate governance are accountable to their own boards so they have to have their own strategy and their own structure and their own strategy should fit within part of the group strategy or frankly they're you know they're an orphan <laughs> but uh, you know they have to they, they have to contribute to the whole uh, but but we do have a unique dna i think where agencies can remain genuinely genuinely independent certainly in culture feel and outlook and there are there are some there are some elements of course that are centralized and that are standardized and there are some elements that are not and we talk a lot about um core and context and they're just particular phrases that we've adapted to ourselves and core core for us are those things that clients would probably pay more for it's the really highest value work we do and context is everything else um and so we try and make core in the agencies highly personalized highly differentiated and and the the the, the custody of the culture around that core belongs to the agency and we don't play a part in that the context we probably could and should be able to help the agency with so you know that's for example all the bookkeeping and things like that the legal side we can centralize and take that off their plates because I, I still haven't met anyone that said they got into the creative business because they want to work spreadsheets um so so that's that's how the flotilla um hopefully heads in the same direction but you know if one of the if, if a small gunship wants to go off on a small foray as long as it's heading the right direction that's fine um and then in terms of what we look for or what you know what agency owners can do um so i, I think you're right i th i have met a couple of agencies where you know i've said why you, you know my first question normally is why are you selling um and 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 a couple of agencies said well we we, we started the company so we could sell it one day and, and for someone like me that's a dreadful answer so if you're listening to this and you ever want to speak to me about selling your agency to us don't say don't that start with that the, yeah. the meeting will be very short <laughs> um so so look a lot of the agencies that i want to buy are not for sale that's just the reality um or if they are for sale right now it's because you know the the leaders are are reading the runes and are are needing they've got to a stage in their own evolution where they need to join something or they they perceive they need to join something bigger now there's a, there's a there's a there's a a point in an agency evolution where they have three basic choices um in my opinion they can continue doing exactly what they're doing they can sell to a company like ours or they can become a platform to sell to start acquiring other people and and, and i'm sure there are loads of other opportunities but from where i sit those are the three options and i increasingly come across uh, agencies to, who are wrestling with with that that issue um and i think any one of those points is a perfectly valid or choices a perfectly valid strategy for an agency when they get to that kind of size um so so what 
it, but actually it doesn't matter whether an agency is small, medium or large. And one, one, of the, one of the things I struggle with is there are, it's all about talent. Actually, when it, when it comes down to it, it's, it, it literally is all about talent. Because you can have a really big agency that's, that's kind of financially successful. You know, it's, it's hitting average KPIs. It's doing average work. It's averagely large. But, but, but that's not going to be exciting if you're trying to encourage emergence and do things that other people can't do. It, it's, just not, it's just not exciting. So, so I'm on a mission always to try and um, find and unlock hidden talent hidden talent in agencies simon's really big on hidden talents in people um you know we in fact we even have a hidden talents campaign that he's announced and run where uh, we audit the skills of the people and everyone has a personalized training plan within the group and we tend to think quite long term about stuff so we're thinking about what kind of agency do we want to be do we want to say we are in a year's time how do we train ourselves to get there and, and so he'll run a hidden talents campaign similarly i'm looking for to try and find and unlock hidden talent in agencies so and, and and that isn't necessarily related to size so so being the biggest doesn't get you a suitor being the smallest life's a little bit harder i think uh to find a suitor but if the talent's there if there's a unique model or a unique talent or unique ip then i then i think that's different um in terms of the specific question of what would i advise an agency owner to do if they want to sell firstly you've got to do great work the work has got to be absolutely out of the park if you you know i i think if you want to sell look let me just roll back a bit there are lots of people like me in this market who are and, and there are more and more actually i've come across four new groups doing what we're doing um in the last three weeks um some of them have done it trying to do the um the no money down thing um they're trying to buy agencies without spending any money good luck to them uh, it's a hard old way to try and make a living and you end up bottom feeding. Uh, there are some, I've come across one who's trying to do the whole equity roll-up model again, where they'll give you shares in the parent company instead of, we, we do cash only, I have to say. That's part of the smarts I took out of my own failure. I had lots and lots and lots of shares in something that wasn't worth anything. Um, so, so there are lots of different people like us out there looking to buy agencies. So honestly, if you want to sell, you, you probably can, but be very careful, I think, of what you join, because uh, life gets pretty miserable if you join the wrong thing. Um, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm conscious I'm rambling, but it's a big question. Not rambling really at big, all, Dom. I mean, I think that you've shared so really much. Big there. It's, it's a, a really huge big question. Yeah. And I think it's one, it's really interesting. You make a point there with loads of points that people will take away that really resonates with me because um, I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and I think often when you when you learn when you build businesses and you do end up selling timing is everything and I think recognizing timing and I was a board director at 28 and along came the opportunity to take part in a management buyout back by 3i and my initial reaction was I can't possibly do this I've just taken out first mortgage on a house with my <laughs> husband where am I going to find the money luckily my other half's reaction was you'd be a complete muppet not to do it we'll find the money um so timing and that that sort of convergence of your personal drive and your business drive I think something that came up on other guests that we've had chat about that you might found a business um for one reason to earn mm. income and then as you grow it becomes bigger it becomes a different beast as you say and the challenges change some people relish those changes 
some people actually don't like the fact that they're suddenly not doing the things they love doing. And I think there's an opportunity there often with agencies, as you say, to release that talent back to what they're passionate about. And I think that that tip about thinking about your talent and what you want personally and, and where that best fits is certainly what I would always say when somebody's looking it's not often just about selling it's about the the life choices increasingly yeah yeah I think I think it's a really good a really valuable addition to that as well which is when when selling it's you know it's easy for me to say because I'm on the buy side but equally it's not just about price right so so obviously if you're exiting something you want to exit and maximize your earning potential as you're exiting but but an exit's going to be over a period of time, and you you can probably talk to this better than I can, Shane. Um, but but when when you're exiting, you've got you've also got to be able to live with choices. And and I, I think one of the very first blogs I produced was about an aligned approach to transactions or to deal making rather than adversarial approach. So an adversarial approach in this context is a disaster, as far as I'm concerned, because it's hard to recover from what happens during the adversarial process. And we've all got to be bedfellows for three years. So, so, you know, we, you know, again, as part of our kind of integrity, I guess, and not, you know, we're not, we don't try and screw people down to the floor. There's no point. We're looking at a fair price for the agency because we want everyone to make it to the end of their earn out. If we, if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to attract the best agencies. So for us, that kind of, so what can you do to sell your agency? A, know who you are. B, know what your value is. But C, be prepared to have a discussion rather than a, a fight about what value is and how it's released. Because I think, you know, virtually almost all agencies are saleable whatever and you know we've done we've done eight transactions um i've, I've taken 10 to right to the wire but i've probably looked at well north of 200 agencies now and had advanced discussions probably with about 40 50 something like that and none of the structures no no two of those structures that we looked at for the actual deal were going to be the same not n none of them so so be be clear about what you want i think before we go into a transaction is is really important too and, and Dom, you touched on your experience of this as well, that must help greatly when you're on that side of the table. But I wonder if we can just slightly change direction. You, you talked a bit about your kind of personal story. And there's a book that's just been published, Purposeful People, where you're an incredibly good company with a lot of other leaders that have contributed their tales. I wonder if you could just chat a bit about that book and, and particularly your contribution, what you've talked about in there and, and sure. how that relates to today. Sure. So the process of writing the book was fabulous, actually. So Chris Payton, who um, who put the project together, um, approached me, I think, halfway through 2020, kind of mid-pandemic, to say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. And, and we talked about imposter syndrome for earlier. Interestingly, out of the 20, well, there were 19 other authors and Chris, um, and each one of the 19 went back to him saying, you know, with imposter syndrome, saying, I'm not sure I belong in this company. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be writing a chapter, um, which is really interesting. But, but it, 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 it's a really good, so it supports four charities. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was pitched as a, as a charitable project to start with. But the concept is to get 20 people from completely different backgrounds, completely different walks of life, with completely different experiences, um, to, to put down on paper what they think their personal purpose is about how it came about if there's any kind of academic or model rigor that you could put behind the, the the thesis that you're presenting in your chapter 
to try and create an anthology that would be supportive to other people in the same situation. And, and I think the outcome, I, I say the outcome because I, I will confess that I haven't read the book yet um, because I haven't got my hands on the paper copy and, and I don't like reading books on, on digital devices. Um, I really like having paper in my hands. So I'm eagerly awaiting the delivery, which I think is coming this week. But I have seen the precy, obviously, and the summary of all the other chapters. And it is an astounding, it's an astounding achievement what, what Chris and, and the team um, have produced. So my, my chapter, I, I was very clear what I wanted to write about from the start, um, because the, the, the purpose I have now um, my purpose is all about creating an environment where makers can flourish and, and so I, my, my chapters on makers and takers I tend to be a little bit polar in my thinking <laughs> um, that you know things either come into twos so completely polar or sometimes there'll be threes but but I but I very much learned the hard way in you know again in my opinion that there are makers and takers in the world and takers are the kind of people that will ask you what's in it for me and makers are the people that will say, what can I do for you? And uh, actually, Adam Grant, is, he, he wrote a really good book on exactly this subject. And he's got the academic background and rigor to, to back it up. But, you know, I always believed that, you know, the makers, the people who are collaborative and constructive and gave, uh, paid it forward, uh, were people that deserved and should thrive more than those um, who take and, you know, the the the, the, the who take off other people and so my book my, my chapter is about was about that actually um because i happened to get into a well the biggest transaction of my life to, to date um with someone who was a taker um and and she absolutely destroyed <laughs> me my business my home um it was it was a, a really very 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 difficult period of my life and and when things like that happen as an entrepreneur um it's not just obviously you that's affected those nearest and closest to you also uh, get really badly affected by it so you know Nicola my wife was very badly affected my parents my twin brother they were lending me money as fast as they could possibly lend me money to stay afloat um while I tried to sort things out um and then there are friends because you know you know as one builds the business you know you you, you kind of like doing business with people you like um and so some of my creditors were personal friends so when the thing went down uh it was a really really painful experience so i felt like i wanted to write a cautionary tale um because i'd made some really elementary blunders actually and, and i just wanted to share them um so that others reading it might just pause to think and say you know okay in my circle who's a maker and who's a taker and you know the, the advice i give in the chapter is if you find a taker you just got to cut them out of your life as fast as you can because like, really like you you know you only get one you only get one go at your career and you've got to enjoy it and therefore if there are people on it on that ride who are interfering with your enjoyment you've got, just got to cut them out however painful it is um, and so that's 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 what my, without you know spoiling any more. There's a bit a bit more detail in it, but that's that's what the chapter's about. I think the perfect teaser, rather than a spoiler, I I, I definitely am, I'm signing up to to read that. And I think that it's really great and heartening, Dom, that you're prepared to share. You know, I wish I'd known because I think. I don't know for what reason, but many of us perhaps leave it a little late to share that advice. Mm. Um, and it's that sort of, 
openness. Yes, I've made some mistakes, which actually I don't want you to make that because it's very painful. And it's really similar and resonates to me as part of that buyout that I took part in. I was I was super excited. I thought, you know, this was it. We were going to be building, taking this business, which was around three million to probably a 50 million pound company. I was 28. I was very ambitious. Realized that my other six fellow directors only after we'd done the deal had thought they'd bought their pension and that sort of they weren't takers in that in in the context that you've said it, it but it was definitely a different vision of where we were going and of course I wanted to invest back into the business grow and they wanted to invest in their families and personal future they basically thought they were buying a lifestyle business and i didn't even see that coming before I went into the deal and I think for everybody to reflect as you say the people you work with what you get from them the deals you do who you do um the with very wise words Dom so any other final words sort of to share with the listeners um in terms of what what we've learned you've shared masses but one final piece of advice perhaps back to yourself when you were leaving the army we wish you'd known when you'd started out the career you have today <laughs> yeah so so when I left and I, I for, and for a long time I carried around a portfolio of 86 rejection letters with me um so, so but then those were only the good ones because of course the really bad ones just don't reply to applications um uh, look all of us can do far more than we think we can I think is 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 what I've learned along the way that you, you really are you really are only limited by your own self-doubt and self-belief that if you you know human beings are amazing things if you set your mind to something you go about it with purpose you you actually can achieve it now i'm not just saying you know i could think i want to be an astronaut and in three years time i'll be one or even that i could be an astronaut because that's beyond the realms of um reality but but you know we are able to do a lot more than we think and i think that when i when i left the army um and i wanted to get into the marketing services business i just didn't go about it in a very smart way i just started writing lots of letters um, and i threw them away in the end by the way because i realized it was me with the problem not the people who were rejecting me i wasn't making it very easy for them to hire me um but but i think have that self-belief if you want to do something if you want to achieve something whether that be starting a business whether that be you know um becoming a champion in a sport or whatever you you just got to sit down and and think systematically is it realistic can I achieve it if I wanted to do it how would I do it and then and then go for it brilliant brilliant stuff there from Dom um very thoughtful Shane very very detailed as well in terms of uh, and and for a man on the fly just giving those answers it's clear that he's got a completely different way of looking at a, a, a space that he's in and a very healthy one as well but didn't come easily he's obviously learned from from different points in his life uh, the negatives and how you can turn those into a positive so really really interesting stuff or at least i thought so what about you shane what did you think i agree and i also felt that there was a great clarity over the skills that don believes leaders need and and demonstrated many himself you know but talking about mental fortitude integrity Mm. Moral courage, which I think increasingly in the world today is one we need to value above all others, actually. Vision, resilience. But he also, very touchingly, I felt, talked about the fact that it 
can be lonely in the top. And I think I think that's a really interesting one. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think so. It's 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 one of those kind of exclusive clubs that until you're in there, you, you close the door behind you and go, oh, it is. I mean, that cliche, it's lonely at the top. But recognising that uh, and as he's with his flotilla, ensuring, and that's the beauty of having a, the right kind of um, network of agencies is that you've got that safe harbour, if I can use the pun still, that you know leaders can share from others because you can't always go, or maybe it doesn't always feel like you can go too close to home to go and learn or to ask the stupid questions uh, or whatever it may be. And we talked about imposter syndrome as well. I can experience that, Shane. You know, I've been there on my own and, and recently having done a merger where I've got a business partner just in the first few weeks of, of going through that and having somebody that you can trust and you know that you can bounce things off. Uh, I can go from that loneliness to that of having, you know, a safety net, a, a running mate, a, a muse, all sorts of different things that come with having uh, another. Uh, and I guess, as Dom said, the two sides to this, the coin, that you've got people at home. Uh, and when it's going well, you've got people that can really help. But but equally, those people, your family can get dragged into it. I thought we made some really excellent points about if things don't go right, the, the impact for not just you, but those around you as well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's not being lowly at the top. It's not always about having someone telling you that you're right and you're doing the right thing, although that's always very nice. But actually, equally, and I think and I find what I relish is it's the people who do give it to you straight, who tell you, you know, in no uncertain terms. And I'm lucky to be surrounded by family who are, you know, not shy in telling me when I've got it wrong, which is good for me. But it, it's having somebody challenge you and think differently. And I think that's what often, you know, being lonely at the top, you're not necessarily after affirmation all the time, but just someone to challenge you and push you think differently. And that's great news, Steve, that you've got, you've got, you know, a partner both in, in life at home to do that, but also to do that in a work sense now with your new um, merger, which is very exciting news. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because you could say, well, have, being, at least being on your own, you, you, you're the captain of your own ship, if I carry on this analogy, sorry. Uh, but having a business partner is not always easy. And, and you and I have both in the past had business partners that are not always ideal. So there's there's good and bad of being on your own and, and indeed with others. But certainly, yeah, having having a sounding board is, is a really important thing. And, and that doesn't mean you need to bring in a business partner, Shane, either. I don't think you can have a trusted Number two, that is somebody who is honest enough with you, as you say, uh, or indeed just, you know, uh, arrives at the same decision that gives you the confidence that as Dom's making decisions, having somebody who knows the direction of travel is really important. Uh, and if people back that up and agree, then, you know, it's going to make that journey much, much easier, much, much smoother, if I may. And that's to Dom's sort of second point, really, about, you know, surround yourself with makers. They don't need to be formally involved. They can be, you know, there are people who will give of their time. We have been so fortunate with our series of um, podcast recordings that people have given their time to talk about their experience. And these are all makers. They're all giving back. Um, and I think we can, you know, take that thought with us as we sail off into this end of this podcast because we had to get another sailing analogy. We did. Yeah, uh, we did. I think we must have to drop anchor now, Shane, otherwise people are going to kill us. Overstretched set of analogies. Anyway, listen, I hope you've enjoyed that. Well, I certainly did. And I know Shane did too. 
big thanks to Dom to giving up his time and for sharing his wisdom. And a thanks to you for listening in. We'll see you at www.podcast.co.uk. We'll see you on LinkedIn if you look for www what we've learned podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from we're in all of those places we'd love to hear from you and if we don't hear from you we hope you enjoy listening see you soon thanks everyone <laughs>